of that though, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you feeling? Bro, have you ever felt simultaneously fantastic and simultaneously the worst? Yeah, I mean, that's like when I'm sitting on the toilet taking a deuce, kind of a mixture <laughs> of that all the time. Yeah, that's basically what I did today. Um, no, uh, yeah, so I ran the Eugene Marathon today. I think I may have told you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just brutal, bro. What exactly was brutal about that? So the first 13 miles, totally fine. Then 15 things started getting a little dicey. Ships started rocking and rolling. <laughs> the waves got a little bigger. Yeah. Started crashing against the old craft, if you will. Yeah, against some wear and tear. By the time passing mile 20, my, my dogs were barking, my biscuits were burning. It was just... Were you dragging, yeah, feet? My, were you dragging feet at that point, or were you still just trucking, lifting those knees high? So, the knees were coming up, but nothing was happening. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I decided to go with like the T-Rex form, you know, where the feet like don't, the feet don't totally leave the ground, right. but you're still like, you're still kind of moving. You're hopping a little bit like. <laughs> yeah. And then literally I had to start walking at about mile 23 and I, but I managed to pull it back together. But as far as anything weird or strange, dude, it was just a straightforward run, man. Like people around me were struggling. Some people were struggling less. Some people were struggling more. So I didn't feel alone. And uh, no one was, you know, pissing themselves as they were running or no, taking a little dupe. <laughs> no, things happen, I mean, man. You're running like your body is still going through the process. Yeah, for sure. The processes that I was going I'm through. not saying that it didn't happen because it may have, but it didn't happen around me um, in my little microclimate around me where I was at. Um, definitely nothing strange happened. So okay. it was, yeah, it was smooth sailing as far as that goes. Um, but ugh, just, yeah, it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, ever. Now, I know that people who run and do marathons like yourself, uh, they do certain things to help them, I guess, in the running running process, right? Like little small things like uh, taping the nips, <laughs> tape, tape over the nipples. You know, the, no rubbage going on. I could see how that might be that might come into play if you don't run a lot, but if you run a lot, dude, those things are like diamonds, uh, bro. Little calluses. You nips. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're not even nips anymore. I just have brass buttons there now. Ah. Yeah. In a, in a lightning storm, I got to watch out, but damn. Um, yeah, it's, that's, I don't really have to do, uh, anything, but you know, there is body glide. I don't know if you've heard of body glide. No, I have not. That is to assist with chafage oh yes yeah yeah that is one of the things that will help you uh in running that's got to be the worst where your thighs are rubbing together Ooh man better to just avoid that whole situation together and glide it up bro nice i like it gotta gotta glide it up i like it um how are your toenails are they black are missing any <laughs> uh the toenails all fared well um you know a lot you know there's i could see like maybe your toenails would be in jeopardy if you weren't already a runner and then you attempted a marathon. There's probably a lot of things that would go wrong with you. Mm. Um, but you know, man, I've put the met the pedal to the metal, bro. You've put the practice in. You've I don't come know. a long way. It's I still, I still have a lot of, I still have a lot of work to do. That's for sure. 
Right on, bro. Well, you know, thanks for giving us a glimmer into the world of the marathon running, and we appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. No problem. Well, you know, got to get a little serious here. Um, Oh, okay. Let's get serious. We lost one of our greats, old Gerald Norman Springer, also known as Uh, Gary Springer. I know. I know. He was a national hero, bro. I think his face should be carved into Mount Rushmore. Don't you think over there in South Dakota? Yeah, I think they should start like a Mount Rushmore 2 where we start putting these legends up there. <laughs> you know, he should go up there. Prince. Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah. Michael Jackson. It's going <laughs> to it's gonna have like a hundred faces in like the next couple decades. But they have to just start carving <laughs> over them. Be like, all right, we got to make room for this next guy. <laughs> There's like half of a face and half of a yeah. face on the other side. There's just like a new face right there in the middle. Yeah, yeah. You just get like, you just repurpose <laughs> them after they've been there for a few years. Like, oh, Prince kind of looks like right. Kobe. Yeah. We could, we could just make some adjustments. Yeah. Just chip away the eyebrows a little bit and he'll look like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> oh, Turd Ferguson. Turd Ferguson. <laughs> Well, you want to get into uh, uh, you want to get into old Jerry Springer a little bit here? No, 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 no. First, first, I couldn't agree more with your statement about Mount Rushmore, but our boy Springer is in the Trey Portray. Oh bro. shit! So we have to tread lightly there. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and toss everyone's fresh salad with that <laughs> segment that has been nominated as sexiest segment alive? Oh yeah, it was on. It was it was on the cover of People. Yeah, it uh, was recently. <laughs> so the infamous Trey Portray. Well, you know, we might as well start with the nation's great that we lost. One of the most influential and at the same time controversial figures in TV history. Jerry Springer has died. Oh, uh, man. He hosted the, you know, as you know, and as everybody knows, the Jerry Springer show for 27 years. I don't know if you knew yeah. how long he did it, but 27 years. Oh, that was a long time. I, mean, I didn't realize it was that long. I remember growing up, everybody would always chant, Jerry, 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 Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Like, everybody knows what that is and what it refers to. Just anything kind of heinous or crazy or weird or, you know, a couple of cousins kissing or something like that. You know, right. like, that was that happened live on his show. Like, how all talk, the time. Talk about reality TV, like, at its finest, you know. Yeah, those are great days. I mean, that sort of television is garbage now man there are a few sources that say it was pancreatic cancer in the end that kind of that kind of got him um but did you know like before tv he was actually a politician yeah yeah i thought he was a lawyer wasn't he he actually he ran a campaign it failed of course but he he ran for congress in 1970 yeah and he actually became cincinnati's mayor in 1977 it was only for a term but um, the guy is, he just was all over the place, man. Yeah, his show, what, debuted in 91, I believe. Yeah, and the it, and it was so popular in the 90s that more people watched it than Oprah Winfrey, if you could imagine. So I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, well, he will be missed in the world of entertainment and beyond, for sure. Yeah. I want to take you back to Japan. I don't I don't know if you remember the first time we went there on this subject, but do you remember a little time I was telling you about whale meat vending oh yeah man in the vending machines whale meat yep yep individually packaged in little plastic yeah yes yes well the newest delicacy to hit the vending machine 
streets in Japan is actually bear meat. Bear meat. Yes, that, sir. That sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. This is a story from Reuters out of Semboku, Japan. Apparently, a remote Japanese town took to selling bear meat from vending machines, bro. That's so weird. Yeah, so the supply that it uses is actually Asian black bears, which uh, are listed as a vulnerable species, maybe because people are <laughs> catching them and killing them and sticking them in vending machines. Yeah. But apparently it's because bear attacks have been kind of a problem in certain areas, especially in rural Japan. Um, because so it's a revenge thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, like you, oh, man, well, you mess with my family? You're going to wind up in a vending machine, bro. <laughs> 50 cent prime cut, Ooh, you know? Sounds delicious. 50 cents. So apparently when the bears wander into town, there's like one or two dudes that are just sitting there just ready, just waiting like, oh, yeah. And uh, they set up a trap or they shoot them. And then, uh, yeah, they process the meat and stick them in a vending machine. I see here that it says bear meat tastes better when the blood has been drained immediately from it. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that. Wow. <laughs> that is interesting. I mean, I've had bear before um, and it's really not that great. It's really stringy and it's, yeah, not, not a great meat. Not a great meat. Yeah, the only context I've ever had it is bear pepperoni stick, which mm. is mostly seasoning and yeah, so it would be stuff. delicious no matter what. Yeah, so you don't really taste the bear. I mean, yeah, obviously it tastes different than a Slim Jim, you know. But, oh, yeah. But it's still heavily seasoned. So, yeah. Eh. Well, maybe I'll go to Japan and get a whale bear double down or something. <laughs> double down on some know? whale and a little bear. Bit of, yeah, a little bit of whale bear. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be preserved in something, some sort of like acid or something, you know, to keep it preserved. Oh, God, I hope so. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, you want to just like roll up to the vending machine and see a bunch of gray hunks of bear meat in there. Uh, like, oh, this oh. one's furry. This one's got mold. <laughs> fresh, it's fresh. Gross. That's gnarly. Um, And then the third story of the portrait is from USA Today from an article by Ryan W. Miller. Apparently, Coop, millions of genetically modified mosquitoes will soon be buzzing around in Florida and California. Damn. Do you know why or have any ideas why they might be genetically modified? Uh, they're going to put little cameras on them and spy on everybody <laughs> in Florida and California. <laughs> um. So apparently... I'm wrong. These... Yeah, that's not that's definitely not it. Sorry, I should have said oh. that's not it. I just thought, you know, the the listener was probably pretty sure without me saying that that was wrong. But Damn. <laughs> they were on my side, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> my bad. Sorry. I shouldn't be so biased, but apparently the reason that they've been genetically modified is in order to increase the number of mosquitoes that actually do not bite. So the males don't bite. The females do bite. Um, so they're genetically modifying these mosquitoes to create more mosquitoes that don't bite. The offspring will will either be males or females that never survive to reach maturity. So they're going to like die off. Um, ah, man, I feel like that will cause some sort of butterfly effect eventually. 
Yeah, how could it not? Like, yeah, of course, nobody likes to get bit by mosquitoes, and they do transfer lots of disease, especially in those areas like yellow fever, um, chikungunya, Zika, dengue fever. But stuff eats those mosquitoes, man. Bats. That's like their number one prey. It's mosquitoes. Bats love mosquitoes. Yeah. It just seems like a terrible idea. I get that we want to, like, you know, we don't want to pass especially with more people want to limit the spread of disease. But uh, if you mess in that kind of way, like play God with a, with a species, make them self limiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, just who knows? We don't know. We just don't know like what the big effect is going to be until it's too late. And stuff's already fucked up. You know, what it I mean? seems like a really small change right now, you know? Yeah. Kill the mosquitoes, take them out. But I think there are massive consequences to that. I agree. The potential potential is hazard hazardous for sure. Yeah, because I mean they don't know. We don't know what's gonna happen if it's gonna work. Yeah, we can't know. Or if it works the opposite way they hope it to. I mean, who knows? Yeah. What if it has the opposite effect and then they just like bite ten times more? Right. Their stingers are you know their things whatever they are are like bigger and more painful, and the mosquitoes themselves live longer, and they're all females. So it's just like yeah. They the just, worst case scenario. They just become like they just become skull penetrating mosquito. They just suck just the blood right drills. out of your brain. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of part of our story today. Oh, well. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up and move on with our story then. All right. Well, Scott, I'm gonna ask you a pretty heavy question here. And I repeat, it's heavy. But I just want you be as open as you feel comfortable being with us, all right? And just give give your honest feelings about what, what the subject matter is here. Hey, reckless infidelity with questions? Come on, man. Well, what is your opinion on suicide? Woo! That heavy. is heavy, bro. Um, I have to be honest. You know, suicide sucks, especially if it happens to, you know, with someone that you know and love. Uh, but I also understand and you know, I respect the reasons that somebody decides they can't take it anymore because who am I to think about what someone's going through in their mind, which could be a literal prison of depression and pain. Like, who am I to say, no, you know what? You have to keep existing in that, dude, for mm. my benefit. Totally. You know, for my benefit, you have to keep living a tortured existence. So, you know, I just, I, I, I don't like it. Um, it really sucks. And I, and I know people who've committed suicide and it's left big holes in my life and the lives of the people around them. Mm-hmm. But that being said, like, dude, it's their life. It's their decision. Like, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say, no, you can't. Sorry, but that's, it's just not for me to say. Yeah. I mean, so you're a proponent. That's good. I, for one, am also a proponent of suicide. I also think that any person has the right to take their own life. Now, don't get me wrong, because I feel strongly that mental health professionals can help in tremendous ways. Yeah, I do wish that um, one person in particular that I know had reached out, had maybe just given one chance. Um, But at the same time, their mind was made up. That's what they were going to do. And they did it. And at this point, what am I going to do? Just be bitter? Like, no, I have to accept that that was their decision and yeah, try to move on. Yeah, man. And what I find interesting, and, and I fully back the concept here, is the assisted suicide, where a person will go into a controlled oh, yeah, setting, yeah. usually at their home or like a hospice or something. But, you know, I've watched a couple uh, short documentaries on this. And from what I've watched, they are, you know, handed this little pill and a little bit of water. And it's sad, but, you know, I don't know. It's a strange emotion watching 
all of it unfold because they're just sitting there talking to their friends like it's no big deal and it shouldn't be you know but it's still weird and you can you can sense the heaviness of it and the reality of it but you know they're just normal people friends hugging each other man you know everyone's smiling so powerful no tears you know nobody's crying it's just it's strange and then the person takes the pill and swallows it and they just say goodbye you know and they just go to sleep and that's it dead boom yeah um i think in situations like that you know it's just what are you gonna do like at least spend the last moments with the person i feel like i probably would have felt better if i had been able to see the person one more time yeah you know before they decided to take their life you know and i'm sure they thought oh well if i do that they're gonna try to stop me they're this and that which you know probably would have had a discussion about it but yeah yeah it's it's just hard to know how i would have handled it in that situation actually but um there's i'll give you another food for thought there's a there was a situation where an individual had a a disease that was Mm. uh, progressive yeah and was gradually losing control of their normal body processes and they weren't very old and so the sibling actually he asked if they could administer um like a lethal dose of something in an iv and uh yeah that that was like his final wish and the sibling agreed this isn't someone i know personally this is a a story from you know multiple degrees of separation Mm -hmm. but you know in a situation like that the person didn't want to like suffer the indignity of not having control of their own body anymore and so they were like you know what i'm gonna end this on my terms before i just go nuts you know yeah, and I agree with it. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about that. You know, what would you do in that situation where this disease is is taking you over, right? Like a yeah. cancer that is stripping you of your four. freedom. You know, yeah, and you can't do anything. Like you're in heavy pain. Like everything is just painful. And what do you do? Do you want to live like people don't want to live like that, man? And I don't know, but it makes you think. You know, why are these you know states in the U.S., the United States, who use lethal injection as a means to quote unquote legally murder people you know the gas chamber or whatever but we know that lethal injection does not always work the way it's you know supposed to work we've heard about it read about it so many times where these condemned people are essentially tortured to death for an extended period of time you know once these particular series of drugs are entered into the person's bloodstream you know uh what is it mid uh midazolam i think is for the sedation of it and then uh pancuronium bromide it's used for to cause muscle paralysis and there's potassium chloride which is used to stop the heart but you know that's another story for another day my point is that why don't these states use these assisted suicide drugs instead you know and apparently the preferred drugs being administered in the assisted suicides are just high doses of barbiturates so why aren't the states just giving them high doses of barbiturates instead of using this three drug system which cost the taxpayers a shit ton of money and then the process of which it's carried out only prolongs their death and is unreasonable agony. Well, one, um, like you said, it costs the taxpayer a shit ton of money, which means somebody is making a shit ton of money off of it. True. You know, so it's a money thing. Um, and who knows who's pulling the strings as far as that goes. But the simple answer is because the person being killed will have a feeling of euphoria oh, before they die. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they'll have a brief moment of feeling great, feeling high. And well, you know, we can't have that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. God forbid. You know, as the warden is over there off to the side, just guzzling down pints of whiskey and smoking two fat stogies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, 
Yeah, the room's just all smoky. All the inmates lined up, ready to die, and there's just like one light above the person in the gurney. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sort of like a vignette in there, you know. You right, got the, right. The warden's got a couple of strippers and lingerie, just sort of, of course, hanging off of him as the couple deputies are sitting at a table doing lines of coke and playing <laughs> yes, cards. Right, you know. Yeah. Now, nah, come on, girls. <laughs> Y'all know I'm officiating at an official capacity right now. Hey, uh, warden. If I lay down an eight and a seven, what does that mean? Well, goddamn Earl, count the fingers on your left hand. <sniffs> For Christ's sake, Elizabeth, put your shoes back on, girl. Your feet smell worse than the Mississippi swamp between my ass cheeks. Disgusting. Oh man, that's gross. They even—I think they forgot why they were there. Yeah, I think the guy in the gurney is like, uh. Can I get some coke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He's just doing lines too. He's just... Let him up. Come on, come on to the table. Yeah, what are you doing over there, man? Yeah, yeah. Get out of that thing. Well, you know, people commit suicide for all sorts of reasons. It isn't just depression, although depression is pretty much the underlying factor in most suicides. But sometimes there appears to be no real reason at all. True, true. You know, sometimes uh, people have a double life, maybe, and they're in danger of having their secrets exposed. Yeah. And they know that the public is going to think it looks really terrible. And so they kill themselves because they don't want to face the repercussions of their actions. They don't want people to judge them. They don't want to, they know how bad it is and they know how bad it's going to get. So, I mean, you see this a lot with bankers, especially, I don't know, like maybe around 2014, the whole bank failure thing. There were a lot of bankers and financial people that were dying by quote suspected suicide. You know, they just took themselves out. They were like, nope. Yeah, and I'd just like to emphasize the suspected part there because, well, there's a lot to it. Some may call it a conspiracy, others call it a coincidence, but I look at these cases and so many others, and I think we can all agree that we can rule out that the vast majority of these types of cases aren't coincidence. But anyway, go on. Yeah, I, I just wanted to list some of these so-called suicides. Absolutely. So about nine years ago, give or take some days or weeks or months or, you know... Police in London found 58-year-old William Brokesmit, who was a former senior executive at Deschutes Bank, at Deutsche Bank, dead inside his home from an apparent suicide. Oh, wait, sorry. This is extremely fucking important. So that happened on January 26th, which was a Sunday. So the next day, the 27th, the managing director of Tata Motors, Carl Slim, died after falling from a hotel room in Bangkok and what the police said could possibly have also been a suicide. Sure, possibly. Yeah, he was there to attend a board meeting apparently and he was going to stay on the 22nd floor with his wife. Then on the 28th, J.P. Morgan employee, 39-year-old Gabriel McGee, was a vice president of the technology department and he died from falling from the roof of the European headquarters of J.P. Morgan in London. Yeah, I'm just not biting on the uh, coincidence bait there. It definitely seems connected. Why are you on the, Why are you on the roof of a European headquarters of J.P. Morgan? Yeah, what are you What are you doing up there? Where you're gonna? I mean, you got all this money. Like, I'd be like, eh, I'm gonna stay back from the edge, bro. You know, yeah. I don't need to be. And I think uh, just a word of advice to people who are rich and think they're in danger: don't stay in a hotel room that's above the first floor. Yeah, seriously, just stay at a motel, bro. <laughs> yeah. Stay on the bottom floor. You get thrown out of that window. What, you got like a two foot drop tops? You know what I mean? All in a bush. I mean, it's always a bush right there. <laughs>
Yeah, totally. What are you going <laughs> to slam my head into the Coke vending machine outside that doesn't work? You know, like. <laughs> uh, so apparently the next day, because, you know, this is all happening in a week, right? Sunday through Wednesday. So Wednesday is the 29th. Mike Duker, the chief economist. What's that <laughs> name? Is, is it Duker? It is Duker, isn't it? All right. <laughs> it's Duker. Sorry, you threw me off. So Wednesday, the 29th, Mike Duker, Who? the chief. <laughs> yes, Mike Duker. Oh, okay. Okay. The yeah, the chief economist at Russell Investments was found dead from an apparent suicide. It seems he jumped from a ramp near the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Tacoma, Washington. Now, we jump ahead, you know, just a few days later, Monday, February 3rd, Ryan Crane, who is a J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. executive director, was found dead in his home from something listed as unknown causes. Hmm. Interesting. And then if we if we skip forward a little bit more to the 18th of the same month, an unnamed person who was 33 years old and worked at J.P. Morgan as a Forex trader appears to have taken his own life in Hong Kong. It's a nice little chunk of suicides under very strange circumstances here. Yeah, don't work for J.P. Morgan. And here's a little sprinkle on the top. According to various reports about these cases, either the person or the company they worked for were under different types of investigations into their finances and had several allegations of legal activities. Bro, look, here's where I stand on this. Banks are corrupt, plain and simple. Governments are corrupt, plain and simple. And that goes from the smallest town city hall government to the United States Supreme Court and everything in between, all the institutions in between and beyond. They're all corrupt. You know, the colleges, universities, hospitals. Dude, corruption is fucking everywhere. It's in our faces on a daily basis. It's how this country operates. It's the elbow rubbing and attaboy ass slaps. Gotta have the attaboy ass slaps. And I'm sure, you know, it's all how, it's how all countries operate. Um, but no, I agree. Corruption is definitely rampant in all institutions, all branches of government, adoption agencies, orphanages, you know, even, even government programs designed to, quote, help underprivileged like the homeless or food banks for example you know all these organizations are getting federal dollars and funding and who sees that money the people at the top of those organizations definitely do the ceos the project managers and the dollars just kind of barely trickle down yeah the pennies start you start hearing coins fall yeah right oh oh i gotta get that nickel now, well, you know, those are all pretty weird suicides that you just said a moment ago. Suicides that very well could have been an element of homicide, right? But what do you say we talk about a different type of suicide? The unusual suicides. You want to talk about some unusual suicides? Some what-in-the-fuck stories? I love hearing about unusual suicides, Coop. Like weird backyard contraptions and shit, like a guillotine. It's pretty fascinating stuff, man. Well, let's get into it. His name was Richard Talley, and he was a title insurance company CEO. He also had a number of other companies, but he closed them down over the years. What this guy had done was that he misappropriated more than $62,000 from employee retirement accounts. He had allegedly deducted more than $111,000 from employee paychecks, and this was apparently going on since 2008. But it would later come out that there were some you know, serious discrepancies with about $2 million in an escrow account, which he shouldn't have been messing around with. So the U.S. Department of Labor got involved and filed the lawsuit in the U.S. District Court in Denver. The attorney general would also launch some investigations. Okay, so money is involved. And when did the suicide occur? All right, get this. 
February 4th, 2014. Coincidence or conspiracy reality? Yes. All right, so let's get on to how Richard Talley killed himself. Oh, man. So on the very day he was to go to a hearing or a meeting of some sort to hash out all of those discrepancies in the $2 million, he instead had a different plan. He stayed home and went out to his garage. And while in his garage, he gripped his nail gun in his hand and proceeded to shoot himself six to eight times with finishing nails into his head and his chest. Oh, jeez. Could you imagine just pulling the trigger another seven or eight times, like after the first one goes in? Oh, <laughs> like, man. like you don't know how it's gonna feel because you know, in theory, you've never done it before. Then the first one goes in, and you're like, Grah! and you just do it seven uh, more times. Like, oh my god! Right. So you know, all it took was six to eight finishing nails to uh, finish this guy off. That's crazy because you know, and I was thinking this when you were. Uh, initially laying out the story, finishing nails aren't even very big, bro. Like it's not like no, a it's tiny. Not, yeah, it's not like a framing nail or something like that. I wonder if he shot himself in the eyeballs so it just goes straight into his brain. I mean, oh my you know, god! Or I guess he could have pierced his heart. You know, it's pretty close to the probably get uh, through the ribs. Dude, you know? I don't know, man. But that's just yeah, it's not a way. Like, why would you choose that way, right? Ah, it's terrible. I don't know. That kind of yeah, it smells kind of fishy there because he was dealing with money. And yep, yep. I don't think you'd kill yourself with a fucking nail gun. That's more like someone's really pissed at you and they want you to feel pain and they want to kill you with a fucking nail gun. Ooh, that's true. Yeah. Man. Uh, that's what spooky. I think happened. Because he was supposed to go to that hearing or whatever, and next thing you know, he's yeah. dead. Someone was like, yeah, this guy's going to sing like a parakeet. Exactly. And then he showed up at that ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah. Got him. But, you know, however that happened, enough significant damage had been done. This next one. Now, I was surprised to be able to uh, find as many suicides by chainsaw as I did, strangely. Because, you know, huh. yeah, suicide by power tools or circular and bandsaws are generally considered to be very rare events. And those by chainsaw are exceptionally rare. But I had no trouble finding many different cases. I guess that's good. Like, for the podcast? It's, you know, it's dark, but let's be honest. Yeah, it's content for the listeners of this podcast, of course. A 58-year-old man was found dead by his wife in the basement of their home about three hours after he had died. She found him hanging from the ceiling. When the paramedics and the pathologist or medical exam examiner arrived, they removed him from the ceiling and began an investigation. Very quickly, they determined a rather odd way to commit suicide. When the authorities arrived and scanned the scene, they also noticed a small pool of coagulated blood below the man's body. So once they had gotten him down and laid him on his back, they could see where the source of the blood was coming from. Well, where was it? It was coming from a large gash. Well, shall I say gaping gash along his abdomen, horizontally from Ugh. one side to the other. Damn. Yeah, like right along his where his belly button is. And it wasn't just one cut either. There were at least five, six, seven, who knows. But the wounds, as the medical examiner would say, were actually, well, superficial. Yeah, I, know. I mean, what do you think? Do you see that picture there? Do you think that's superficial? I mean, it, it is. You wouldn't really die from that, I don't think. I mean, there's a few that are superficial, but then there's some that, I mean. <laughs> I don't think that's superficial. No, you could literally see the guts, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a couple of them. You're looking inside his stomach. It makes you wonder it's if those first couple good. were like the test ones, and he was like, yeah. God, I am not getting deep enough, and then finally just like really laid uh, into it, you know what I mean? So gnarly. Oof. Yeah, so, that's wicked. 
considering that nothing was protruding, and upon their autopsy, only the surface of some of his intestines were, I don't know, scraped by the chainsaw, I guess. Oh, <laughs> just just the surface yeah. of your intestines. Yeah. No big deal. So they deter- Superficial. So they determined the gaping stomach wound by chainsaw to be superficial, and the guy actually died by asphyxiation by hanging himself. Ugh, God, terrible scene to find your partner, dude. Feels so bad for these people, like both the decedent and their partner. Yeah, it's traumatic. And what do you think? Do you think it's more traumatic? I guess answer this for yourself. Do you think it's more traumatic to find your partner or a loved one or family member or whoever, a friend who's killed themselves by hanging? Or, you know, that would be pretty traumatizing, right? Or maybe it was like a drug overdose where they'd be foaming out of the mouth and certainly not looking too good. I mean, have you seen Chris Farley pictures? Ugh, no. And I'm, I don't need to. But yeah, I think it'd be, it's just terrible either way, dude. <laughs> Anyway, even if even if you walked in and they were just dead in a bed with with nothing crazy, it would still be traumatic. So I can't like a natural cause. Yeah, so I can't even imagine you know the shock of hanging or right. You know, like when people are choking themselves out with a belt and they accidentally kill themselves, and you walk in, you're like, whoa, didn't know they were into that. Oh yeah, auto asphyxia, erotic asphyxiation, auto erotica. That's so hard. Autoerotica asphyxiation. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, man. I I messed up the easy part. Or, you know, maybe you see they shoot themselves in the cranium with a shotgun. You know, would that be more traumatizing for you than them hanging? Yeah, I'm probably. You see what I mean? Like different modes of suicide. Like what would be more traumatic? Yeah. Yeah. I I see. I think. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think walking in with just a bloody brain. Yeah. I think. Anything where there's like the person that you have known for so long is mangled in any way, just be like, add that extra bit of just like trauma to the whole scene. The worst, man. Well, Scott, considering you're completely normal inches and all things relating to magic and ritualistic stuff, you're going to love this next one. (laughs) I always love the next one. (laughs) Always. There's never been a time when I haven't absolutely loved the next one. I know. You know me too well, bro. And I don't know what you're talking about. Well, this next one just came out. Almost, let's say it's warm off the presses at this point. A man, Hamubai Makwana, he was 38, and a woman, Hansabin Makwana, she was 35, yes, husband and wife. They were very, very, very into upholding Hinduism to its purest form. They embraced Hinduism for everything that it represented. And if you know anything about Hinduism, then you know that there is a pantheon of gods. Oh, yeah, 330 million to be exact. Yeah, I mean, that number is actually fictitiously used to suggest infinity, but I think there are 33 official prime gods with hundreds of other deities and devas. But the point here is that this couple were diehard Hindi fans, and that is a literal statement. This couple had a dedicated hut, like their personal Hindu temple, and witnesses said that they had had gone into the hut every day for an entire year to offer their prayers. And inside this hut, They had constructed an altar which had the necessary fire burning to appease the gods because, you know, Scott, fire is considered very sacred in Hinduism. And, you know, it plays a highly significant role in many of the rituals. Yeah, fire is seen as being both a symbol and a connection to the gods. And to many, it's considered to be the literal mouth of the gods themselves. That's right. And so this married couple, they built this altar with fire and they had also constructed a makeshift guillotine, apparently made of heavy iron blades that were held up by a rope. Now, they had this whole thing set up in such a way that when their heads were cleanly chopped off, which they were, 
they would then roll down into this altar of fire, which would completely burn the heads. And uh, that completed the ritual. And that's exactly how it worked out. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they were like so into the gods that they were like, let the gods consume my mind and consume me. Ooh, boy, that is messed up, bro. Well, let's move on to the next one. Okay. This comes to us from the Journal of Forensic Sciences, dated September of 2008. There was a 32-year-old woman who was an engineer and who had been dealing with some major depression and schizophrenia for about 10 years. She was found dead in her apartment where she lived by herself. Her manner of suicide is such that only an engineer would think of. First of all, this woman showed zero interest in any sort of construction or power tools, which makes this all the more interesting. She had built a structure made of a few pulleys, which are connected to bags filled with you know, water bottles and such to act as weights. And this entails a chainsaw as well. Oh, so, our old friend, the chainsaw. And that's important to note as I explain the structure. The structure itself was just under five feet tall. So the chainsaw itself rested at the top or upper part of the structure on two horizontal boards pressed together between two vertical boards, which helped guide the chainsaw downwards when she would turn it on. I mentioned those two pulleys or those pulleys filled with you know water bottles and whatnot. Those are used as weights to pull the chainsaw downwards, guided by the two vertical boards. The pulleys themselves were fastened to the floor using elastics, which were attached to the floor using nails. Now, this woman was extremely careful in making sure the measurements were perfect and all the joints and corners were perfectly square. You know, the beams or boards, both vertical and horizontal, they were just perfectly parallel. What a crazy setup. I mean, it would take like so much time and energy to do that, even for an experienced person. Yeah. But and yeah, it's weird to think about. That's like insane. the whole time it takes you to build something like this and the whole purpose is your suicide. Seriously. It's just weird. Well, and just to get it perfect like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? And she was meticulous, man. But she also utilized an electric component to the structure. She was found with an electric command switch in her hand. So basically an on-off switch, which turned the chainsaw on. The two horizontal boards were positioned to hold the chainsaw in place. And when she flipped the switch to the chainsaw, it started the chainsaw, which would cut through those horizontal boards. And once it cut through those boards, the chainsaw would then be guided downward with the weights. And apparently, this is just weird, she designed this so that the chainsaw would actually go down very slowly. So it was not fast by any means. Ugh, all that time to just think and like just be aware of what's happening. Hearing the sound of the chainsaw getting closer, just slowly. Oh, yeah. man. So she positioned herself below the structure, face down. So, I mean, face down, I guess that's better. <laughs> The chainsaw had completely severed her cervical spine and spinal cord. Oh. I guess it would be quicker than just going through your throat first. You well, <laughs> just like through the top of your head. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I guess that makes sense because, like, if that was the first thing that you know the chainsaw made it to, then at least you would be, you know, bereft of all feeling. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. So I guess that kind of makes sense, actually. Right. So obviously there are manners of suicide that are generally understood to be less painful and quicker or more effective and more likely to be successful in the goal of ending a person's life. Well, yeah, sure, sure, definitely. Yeah, right. The classic approach, you know, thought to be super fast and very effective is the self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, right? Yeah, that's kind of the old classic, if you will. And it's typically successful if done right. 
Or, you know, with the use of a shotgun. Again, if done right. Right, right, right. And for the record, firearms are used far more in successful and failed suicide attempts. Handguns being most often used, followed by the shotgun and then the use of a rifle. But back to your point, you're right. Smaller caliber weapons, logically thinking, would have a higher likelihood of a failed suicide attempt, while a shotgun uh, generally would cause more damage to a person's skull and its contents. And according to the CDC, in 2021, there were 48,183 suicides. Wow. That comes, yeah, that comes out to 14.5 deaths per 100,000 people in the United States. And of those, 26,328 were firearm suicides. And I guess I can throw in there that women attempt suicide around 1.5 times as often as men, but men are more than twice as likely to succeed in suicide than women in all age groups. For example, in 2020, men died by suicide 3.88 times more than women in the United States. And in the United States, as of 2023, Wyoming has the highest rate of suicide at 29.3 people per 100,000. On the opposite end is, Scott, take a guess. Hmm. So you're asking for the state that has the lowest rate? Yeah. Uh... Lowest rate of suicide. I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Wisconsin. No, it's New Jersey. What? They come to about 8.8 people out of 100,000. Yeah. Hmm. New Jersey. It's pretty crazy. Jersey. Okay. Well, I yeah. w- would never have guessed. I would have never guessed that. You'd never have guessed Jersey is the lowest suicide rate. <laughs> that, is that New Jersey? That's, that yeah, Jersey it's, it's New Jersey enough. I pass with that one? <laughs> yeah, you pass. All right. <laughs> As of 2023, Lesotho, South Africa, was the country with the largest population of suicides at about 72.4 per 100,000 oh people. Oh my gosh. Fucking crazy to think about, man. That's so many in Lesotho. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, 72.4 per 100,000. Highest rate in the world. Wow. And on the opposite side of that spectrum, the country with the lowest rate of suicide is Grenada with 0.7 out of 100,000 to die from suicide. Oh, well, I guess that just isn't really part of their, it just doesn't factor into their ideology, I guess. 0.7. That's that's extremely low. That's super low. That's less than a person. Yeah, it's less than one person. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) Apparently, careers with the highest rates of suicide are medical doctors, and then it's scientists, and then it's dentists, and then it's police officers, and then it's veterinarians, and then financial planners pretty much in that order with medical doctors being the highest. And I looked around at various reports and articles, and they're all in roughly the same order. But after those, it's basically real estate, then electricians, which is like, are you sure it's suicide? That's a dangerous job, right? Touching wires. Totally. And then there's lawyers, and then it's farm workers, and then it's pharmacists. Those are the top 10 deadliest careers in terms of suicide. Kind of sucks because those are like all like really necessary facets of society too right i think it's it comes down to the stress levels the yeah pressure pressure electricians i I don't understand electricians again i think it's just a dangerous job and they're just racking them up to suicides when they're actually accidents maybe yeah maybe they're like maybe all electricians have a little bit of a touch couple wires together like so they like it so ooh, ooh. (laughs) And then they just like, you know, they just like build up a tolerance. So, so eventually it's, it's, it's so 
Oh, yeah, got me. it's their erotica asphyxiation, but it's just touching electrical cord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, I just want to bring up this suicide really quick because it got a lot of attention all over Reddit and other websites, especially with the gore viewers and shocking true crime aficionados. The man's name was Ronnie McNutt. Listeners out there probably know exactly who I'm talking about. He was 33 years old and shot himself with a single shot rifle on a Facebook live stream in 2020. Obviously, the video went viral. Yes, yes. So he was a veteran and did serve in Iraq with the Army Reserve in 2007 for one year. Uh, Once discharged, he worked at a Toyota plant, but he was suffering from a variety of mental health problems, including PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. On top of that, he was going through a breakup with his girlfriend or ex at that point, and there's still a dispute as to whether he also lost his job with Toyota during the whole lockdown for COVID. But on this day... He started a live stream and was intoxicated and had the rifle next to him. And friends noticed the live stream. And over time, people started watching it. And some of his friends became very alarmed due to his intoxication and seeing the rifle next to him and knowing that he was going through a rough breakup and all of the other stuff. Right. Yeah. So they took action. Someone tried to get, you know, Facebook. They actually contacted Facebook as this was happening. And they were like, you need to stop this live stream. This is not good. But Facebook apparently refused that, saying that his live stream was not violating their terms. And it probably wasn't at that time because he wasn't really doing anything wrong. So cops were called to intervene during that live stream. And they actually arrived at his apartment, but did not enter it until after they heard the gunshot. And I'll just briefly explain this. In the video, you see Ronnie sitting in front of the computer. You're basically face to face with this guy. His girlfriend calls him at one point and they talk and then he hangs up. And then he says to the camera, hey, guys, I guess that's it. And instantly grabs the gun and puts it under his chin without hesitation, just fires it just immediately. Oh, my gosh. It happened just so fast. And his entire face and brain just instantly destroyed. Man, nothing left. Blood and brain matter just splattered everywhere, including on the camera. What is left is essentially the back of his emptied skull attached to the rest of his body as it rests in his chair, which rolls backward after the shot. It's extremely graphic. And his dog walks in afterward and just looks at the scene and just doesn't know what to do. After that point, the cops come in. Wow. That is... I See, I never saw it. Um, You don't want to. that, That is really, really crazy. And I mean... I mean, I I never really followed this incident. I did hear about it, but did Facebook face any kind of you know shakedown after all that happened? Not or really. anything at Not, all. Eh, I mean, there's always figure. a little shakeup, right? There's always a little backlash, but Facebook, it's not their problem essentially. Yeah, because I mean, author- you know, I guess the authorities have to make it look like they they tried to waggle a finger at Facebook and be like, Hey, now that wasn't cool guys. Yeah. And then later on, on his Facebook, uh, he made a post which said someone in your life needs to hear that they matter, that they are loved, that they have a future. Be the one to tell them, man, that's heavy. Poor guy. man. So, I mean, that's just an example of a very quick and certain death, a very powerful gunshot to the head, which I'm sure is entirely painless at least in Ronnie McNutt's case. That was so fast. It's gnarly. I avoided it for the longest time because I did not want to watch that because it's so fucking gnarly. It's just a close-up, right? It's like right there. And I just would never watch it because I didn't want to see that shit. I've seen enough of those, right? But then it came to the point where I I had to watch it. And I was like, God damn it. Okay. And my heart was just like, do, 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 so hard, dude. I bet. I can't Ugh. even imagine. No, just the not good. Yeah, I can't even imagine. 
Do you remember, and I'm sure you do, the, that case with the two guys, James Vance and Raymond Belknap, back in uh, 1985? I know it's kind of a long one, but they carried out uh, a suicide pact on a church playground. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Um, Raymond, he survived and was horribly disfigured, but would die three, year, uh, three years later. Um, James is said to have died instantly, but the mothers both hated heavy metal, and both they and Raymond blamed the band Judas Priest. And there was a lawsuit. Yes, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the The two men spent, you know, like a whole night drinking booze and listening to Judas Priest, you know, and heading out to the highway, delivering the goods, breaking the law. And those are all heavy hitters right there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, but yeah. Oh, also, uh, you've got another thing coming. Yes. Yes. Classic. For sure. Yeah. So these guys agree to a suicide pact, right? And they have a 12 gauge shotgun. So they walked to a church playground where James, who was 18, took the shotgun and blew his head off. And Raymond, who was 20, he then grabs the shotgun and followed suit. But he just he didn't do it right. And so it only didn't blew do it off. Right. No, nope, he didn't do it right. So it, it blew off most of his face. And he would then later undergo like several terrible reconstructive surgeries, which really didn't work. And as a result, would start taking a lot of painkillers. Um, which is actually also the name of another Judas Priest song. And as said, he would die about three three years later in uh, 1988. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the newspaper so long ago. I was just a kid, and my response is like, whoa, who's Judas Priest? Yeah, I wanted yeah, to listen right. to them at that point. Um, yeah, and you know, you, you see this thing um, when where people are looking for someone to blame um, when those two guys shot up Columbine. Um, they dressed in all black and in leather, and so people came for Marilyn Manson, and they were, you know, they tried to say oh, it's because of your music, and it's because of the example that you're setting. Um, and there's this like famous clip of an interview where the reporter was like, "Well, you know, what would you say to these these two kids if you had a chance to talk to them?" And and Marilyn Manson was like, "I wouldn't say anything. I would just listen." Hmm. And it was just like. Phew blew people's minds because yeah clearly they were not being listened to but that's a another another story for another day and that's uh eric harris and dylan clable for everyone listening that did that at columbine in what was it 99 97 uh, I, I i don't honestly have a good date recollection for that but definitely in my memory for sure i was around right yeah dude most of the time it seems that bad publicity is just good publicity and, oh shit, we talked about that with uh, Teflon Don. Yeah, it's a reoccurring episode. theme. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. But I'd like to emphasize what you said there. Most of the time. Most of the time, it seems fine. Things will blow over and be forgotten unless you're the man named Robert Sylvester Kelly. Oh, Robert Sylvester Kelly. Yes, otherwise known as R. Kelly. Yes. Yeah, as you know, he was immensely successful as an American singer, songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and he could sing with some of the best rhythm and blues, baby. <laughs> for sure. Uh, I was not a fan of his material, but I do know that he was insanely famous for a pretty big time there, working with all the top mu uh, music artists. He had, he had it all. He, was, he had it going on. He sure did, uh, up until he developed a passion for urinating on teenage girls, that is. And everyone is familiar with... Dave Chappelle's take on that, right? Some of the greatest Chappelle skits, man. I loved that show. You know Netflix paid that motherfucker $60 million to do three stand-up specials? Unreal. 
it is at the same time i'm like it's dave Chappelle, dude like it's if dave anybody Chappelle. was worth that it would be dave Chappelle. no one 60 mil no one doesn't like him dude 20 mil for a stand-up one show <laughs> Hell like, yeah fuck? brother and that's netflix Crazy. remember when that that netflix came out it was just like just starting up you remember yeah that it was so weird just yeah. like having to request like a, a movie and then you wait for it to be sent to you and then you have to send it back and then you can get another one and now we're all now we're just streaming everything like oh man it's changed Redbox. so much Redbox followed after Netflix and they're still doing that same thing they're still out there with those kiosks yeah every now and then I'd, I'd look at a Redbox there's just something about the convenience of it I think uh, maybe it's because it's spontaneous you walk out you see the Redbox you're like yeah maybe yeah. I am feeling a movie tonight yeah let's see what, what's going on and I don't really follow what's being released so it's good to just check out like what's what the hell has been happening in the movie industry well if you if you look closely it's usually like two or three good movies to the other like 30 shitty movies that you've never yeah. heard of. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, back to R Kelly, he was sentenced to something, I think like 30 years recently for a handful of convictions in June of 2022, I believe it was, he was sentenced to 30 years for sex trafficking specifically as well as racketeering. And a few months after that, he was sentenced to another 20 years for enticing minors into producing child pornography. And all those will run concurrently, meaning that the 20 years will run at the same time as the, the 30 years. So it's not going to be right. Yeah. yeah, they're not consecutive, which would mean for the sentences to run one after the other. But we veered away from our topic of strange suicide. So let's get back to it. huh? Oh, yes, yes. We digress. We digress. So we left off on how some suicides are relatively quick and painless or they can be. But let's go back to ones that leave you wondering, why the fuck would you even consider that? So this next one involves a suicide by a handsaw. Oh, man. Some of these people have grit, bro. Dude, can you imagine? A suicide by a handsaw. This is extremely uncommon and one of the rarest forms of suicide. There are literally less than 10 known cases of suicide by handsaw. Well, actually, according to uh, this Forensic Science International report, there are more likely only five or six known cases cited in their literature in medicine and forensic sciences literature. I just say 10, just, you know, it's maybe 10 out there. Wow. Yeah, but I believe it. Journals only have five or six. I believe it. I mean, if you think about how horrific that would be and how much like time and dedication it would take to follow through. Yeah. Like, yeah, I could see it being one of the lowest forms. Bro, like you're, easily. you want to kill yourself and you look at a handsaw, you're like, huh, I could use that. <laughs> Man, damn. So this case involves a 76-year-old man with a long history of psychiatric issues in Portugal, I believe. He was found dead in his home by his caregiver next to a suicide note and the handsaw. In the note, he said, It was me. Don't blame anyone else. There was evidence of hesitation, meaning this man was literally sawing at his neck with this small serrated handsaw blade and was making small jagged cuts at first, you know, just sort of testing the waters, so to say. And in the vast majority of suicide victims who use sharp, sharp objects to cut their wrist or neck or thighs or whatever, they usually use a relatively sharp blade, you know, to get the job done. They don't typically use one that is serrated. Now, just think about that. Think about how fucking horrible that would be. It's bad enough with a sharp blade. But we're both familiar with beheadings, right, Scott? We've seen quite a few. And you can literally see the difference of the damages between a sharp knife and a dull knife on a human neck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it, you can tell like the raggediness of the wound versus one that looks like it was just cleaned through, you know? Right. You see a lot of jagged cuts going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So this man cut into his neck muscles, the thyroid, the trachea, and the left internal jugular vein. So he was holding the serrated handsaw in his right hand, and he was sawing into the left side of his neck in the front there. As said, the man was known to have mental health problems for quite some time, and he actually tried to commit suicide 11 years prior using the same suicide method. Can you, like, what the fuck, man? He was dedicated, I guess, and it took him 11 years. That is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. And dedication, bro. His cause of death was determined to most likely be hemorrhagic shock, which is a form of hypovolemic shock where blood or severe blood loss leads to inadequate oxygen delivery at the cellular level. Sure. So your body just shuts down. It doesn't have what it needs to do what it needs to do. So let's move on to this next one, all right? Absolutely. Let's go. You ready for this? Absolutely. Let's go. Screwdriver and handsaw suicide. (laughs) Oh, man. We're just doubling it up, making it worse. So there was... There was this other case reported in 1997 by Sage Journals, which is a medicine, science, and law website. There was a 54-year-old man who was suffering from schizophrenia and had been for a number of years. This man had taken a screwdriver and stabbed himself several times in the neck. When this was not sufficient, he took a handsaw and began sawing rather viciously at his own neck, causing many superficial scratches all about his neck from the teeth of the saw but he also tore his neck wide open and he ultimately succeeded in killing him. Gosh, just imagining it happening in real time when you're just like getting caught on the sinew of your neck muscles. You're still going, you're still going. You're like, nope, this isn't good enough. Every nerve that's being touched, you know what I mean? Man, shit. All right, so now. That's insane. Yeah, let's switch it up a little bit. Now, those are painfully slow deaths, right? Let's touch on a couple that may have been the quickest one could wish for. Arguably quicker than a gunshot. Fair enough. Now, suicide by explosion is particularly rare. That is, outside of carrying out terrorist activities, and even more rare than using various means of sawing. So this case is about a man who was an expert explosives technician. In the fall of 2011, a 65-year-old man was discovered in his backyard in one of those fold-up lawn chairs, and he was deceased. This man had left a suicide note inside his home, and in it he indicated that he wanted to take the quick way out of life. But he was a military veteran and worked with explosives while in the military. This man would explode bombs on his property all day long, and the neighbors all had to endure it. But one day, all those explosions stopped, and nobody had seen the man for a handful of days. What he did was this. He took his explosive device that he was going to use to kill himself with. He went out to his backyard, away from anything, and sat in his lawn chair. Then he put the device between his knees, and then he leaned forward over it, covering it with his head. The device went off, and there was virtually nothing left of his head or neck or much left of his knees. The neighbors would later recall that they had heard the loudest explosion the man had ever set off on that day, which says a lot. That is crazy that they there were other explode like that explosions at all were allowed to happen. I know it's your own property, but I'm like, what state is this where you can explode stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure. And, and you're and you're still able to explode it, you know? I'm not sure, man, but you know, the dude definitely left no room for error. Yeah, absolutely not. He made sure that the job was going to get done. And I was thinking, you know, when you talk about rare, 
yeah, you'd have to have no, where are you going to, you can't like go to the store and be like, I'd like one bomb, please. <laughs> you know, like you'd have to know like how to do it. Yeah. And he definitely situated it. So the explosion went upward, right? And you've seen the pictures. Well, of how course. would you describe these pictures? I mean, there's, there's like nothing. I mean, yeah. Okay. So there's still like a good amount of flesh left, but all the parts that keep you alive are completely absent. So yeah, he, he got the job done. It's basically his arms are still attached to his torso with the armpits there, but everything above that, with the where the shoulders are, yeah, half the shoulders and up are gone. Basically, everything from the pectorals up are no right, longer right, part right. of the equation. And then the knees, the the legs are still attached. Um, basically, the knees are just blown out. You can just it's weird looking. Yeah, it's gnarly. All right, let's move on to. This next one. This case comes from the 1980s and involves a suicide method that was, well, pretty ingenious. First, I want to say that I looked everywhere to find who this person was, but I came up with nothing. Some articles say he was a boy. Others say he was a young man. And yet others say he was a man. And I couldn't find a name or a location. But do not think that this case did not happen. On the contrary, this case very much happened. And you can do a little research for suicide helmet or suicide hat. Oh. And yeah, look it up for yourself. Suicide helmet. That's probably going to be the name of my next rock band. So this boy, young man or man, had taken a helmet like your typical hard hat at a construction site. Okay, I'm with you so far. And I'll refer to it as a hard hat from now on. But he drilled eight holes into this hard hat. He then attached these sort of short metal tubes over each of the holes so as to make a sort of housing unit, if you will, to place a primer and a projectile inside. Now, the projectile would be aiming toward the inside of the hard hat at the skull. These tubes were then held into place with glue and a lot of epoxy, which ultimately covered the entire hard hat. The eight tubes, which protruded from the top of the hard hat going in different directions, would also hold inside of them what would later be described as metal clothes hangers, which were cut to length. These would be placed directly next to the primers, which were then right next to the projectiles. And then these hanger parts, they would extend from the tops of the tube. Is this making sense so far? So far, I think I'm with you. That's pretty complex, actually. I mean, it's simple, but it's also complex. And how these tubes were placed were as follows. There were three at the front of the hard hat, with two near the rim, spaced about six inches apart, with the third being just above that, in the middle of the two below it, right? So there were two others just like those on the left side of the hard hat, one more on the right side, a little nearer to the front, one centered on the back, and one directly at the top. Connected to these pieces of clothes hangers, which were protruding from these housing units, were little wires that were connected to an arc welder, which, when turned on, would provide an electric shock, which would spark the primers. Now, the pathologist who did the autopsy would say that the tube attached at the top of the hard hat was also designed to be a sort of fail-safe, just in case the electric spark did not set the primers off which would cause the, projectile, the projectiles to be fired into the brain. So there was a rubber tubing that was attached to the sides of the hard hat with a lot of tension. This then ran directly over the top tube with the metal hanger extending out of the top, and the hanger was attached to the rubber tubing. So in case 
in the event that the device failed to fire using the arc welder. This rubber tubing could be pulled up and then let go like a slingshot, which would then shoot the hanger into the primer, which would fire the projectile into the top of the skull. This would not be needed, though. Man, well, I know we've been kind of bringing this back, but doing it right, there was no way this was not going to succeed. That is for sure. So the projectiles themselves were 0.33-inch lead balls. But when this person switched on the arc welder, it produced the electricity needed to fire seven of the primers, which fired seven of the lead balls. To the pathologist in charge, they figured that this person was knowledgeable of the thickness of the skull, and that this is why they placed three projectiles at the front. They figured that the person could have placed one on each temple to have succeeded in death, but to them, it appeared that the person wanted to absolutely make sure they died, which meant the skull and brain would be completely destroyed. Well, I mean... Yeah, I guess if that's the method that you're choosing, like, yeah, you better be dead afterwards because it's not going to be a pretty picture if you survive. And all of this, again, was before the age of the Internet. So meaning he did some bare knuckle studying, manually turning pages of books. Can you imagine the exertion? Oh, man, all that just it must. I mean, clearly had his mind made up for sure. Yeah, Man, I remember this 800 page biology book back in college I had to get. That costs about the same. Oh, yeah. Um, they, I definitely had like music history books that I had to buy multiple years in a row, too. What a hustle. Because then you have to buy this like anthology of eight discs that go along with like examples given in the books. And so it turns out to be just hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then you have to do the same thing the following year, take the 200 level class. And I just remember thinking, like, what a fucking hustle, man. Bunch of bullshit. There, it, it is a hustle, actually. There is a lot of stuff with colleges and the book buying thing. Of course, like, of course. There's a little bit of a conspiracy in that. I mean, they definitely have a hustle. Yeah. And we could probably do an episode on just what that's about, because it's actually really interesting. Totally. But however daunting going through that biology book was, though, turning one page at a time, I got an A in that class. I did pretty well. Oh, man. Well, uh, what do you remember? I mean, do you remember like anything specific from that? Mitochondria. Cytoplasm. Centrioles. Ooh, man, a little little cell structure. I'm impressed. Lysomes. How about this one? Golgi apparatus. Huh? Yeah? Oh, I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed. Smooth endoplasmic reticulum. Well, now I'm aroused. <laughs> well, enough, <laughs> enough of that then, Scott. Yeah, well, I'm just being honest here. <laughs> well, all right, let's get back to business. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. For the listeners. All right. This next one is metal as fuck. Nice. Gerald Mellon was a 54-year-old businessman living near Neath, South Wales, over there across the pond. He owned a pretty successful gym and tanning center, and at the time, around the year 2000, he'd been married to a woman who we will leave unnamed. But around the same time, he was also having bit of an affair with a woman named Marielle. Marielle was about 20 years his junior when they met, and she had no problem with secretly dating a married man. Well, you can already kind of get an idea of her character, I suppose. Marielle wanted him to leave his wife to be with her, but Gerald wasn't about that. At least not at the moment. So Marielle decided that she was tired of it and quickly went on to marry another man. Literally, like just 
went directly to marry a man. But then in 2002, Muriel was on her way out of that marriage and started to use Gerald's tanning center. Not long after their little rekindling in 2002, Gerald would finally divorce his wife and Muriel would finalize her own divorce. And the two would then marry each other without missing a beat. It seemed that all was perfect from the outside. Now, I want to point out here that relationships can be complicated. Both men and women can be very manipulative, not only with one another in a relationship, but with everyone outside who are looking in on their relationship. Oh, of course, everyone wants to put up a strong, unified front, you know, so they look like they're living their best life to their yeah, peers, you know. Exactly. And when shit goes south, many people want those people on the outside looking in to think that the other person, you know, the person they're in a fight with was the worst person in the world, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, they want everyone to, like, say to them, oh, well, he, he or she was a piece of shit. Like, you're the, right. you're the good one. Manipulation. So since Gerald is the decedent in the story, we don't really know what he would have to say about Marielle and all this sensitive interpersonal relationship information that we have from Gerald in terms of their relationship comes straight from Marielle. And she isn't exactly happy about Gerald's metal-as-fuck suicide. <laughs> Yeah, and some of the life decisions that he made before he committed the act. She didn't like those either. Yeah, well, it sounds like she was kind of shitty just in general, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get to that. So let's just back up a little bit. They were married in 2002, but would be very near finalizing their own divorce about five years later. After a preliminary court hearing for those divorce proceedings in which the court would order Gerald to pay her an extra 100 pounds on top of whatever else he was paying her, the two would meet at a pub to grab a beer and have a little chit-chat. It was there that Gerald would show Marielle what was in the boot of his Aston Martin. Whoa, first of all, a fucking Aston Martin, bro. Aston Martin. Yeah, and his model cost around 100000 US dollars. Secondly, a boot is what those in the United States would call a trunk, such as the trunk of a car. But what was in the boot of his Aston Martin? What did he show her? I'd also like to point out here before we go any further that a trunk can also refer to a woman's butt. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. Yes. Well, he showed her a rope and he said, there's my rope. Uh, All right. Nice rope, bro. And then he would go on to say, that's what I'm going to kill myself with. Oh, that got dark very quickly. Apparently, she told him to give her the rope, but he just lapped it off, and, you know, they went their separate ways. During the next couple of weeks, Gerald would treat himself to a bunch of Botox procedures. He got his teeth all did up. He would go on to buy expensive designer clothes, and he would stay at really expensive hotels while gambling in casinos every night, just Uh spending money, racking up a bill, going into debt. That's never good. That's never good because you know he's not coming out ahead. No one ever comes out ahead. He would also go ahead and cancel a life insurance policy that he had, which would have paid Muriel a considerable amount of money. That amount is not known to the public, though. Sneaky, sneaky. So what did Gerald Mellon do? I don't know, man. I want you to tell me, bro. What did he do? (laughs) Well, on September 14th, 2007, I believe this happened right after midnight. So it's early morning on the 14th. Gerald Mellon would take that rope that he showed Muriel in the trunk of his car and he would tie it to a tree. Then he would walk a good distance away back to where his open top Aston Martin was. He would then tie the other end around his neck, ensuring that it would not come undone. From there... 
he would push the pedal to the metal. Awesome. So the car it would accelerate quickly into a main roadway where there were witnesses to this event. Obviously, he would be decapitated and his head would land in the back seat while his headless body would remain in the driver's seat still fastened tight with the trusty seatbelt. Damn. Too much metal for one hand, bro. It's a lot of metal. And after it was done, Muriel would say that she was left with more than 320,000 pounds in debt and would need to sell the farmhouse that they lived in. At that time, she was complaining that she had to rent somewhere to live. Jeez. Nothing like, oh, my husband went through with it. Oh, just, nope. just focused on the money. Yeah, man. She was super sour that he left her with nothing. But I mean, it was her idea to get the divorce in the first place. And whatever money he made was his money to do with whatever he fucking pleased, you know? I'm sure it was a situation where she wasn't attracted to him because of his money. I mean, he had an Aston Martin. He had a tanning place. No, that's all it was. Probably had, probably dressed well, probably had, you know, expensive tastes. So she was like, I'm just going to marry him and get divorced so I can at least get some of that money. Yeah. Those women exist. They're out there everywhere. Those men exist too, but this woman was one of those. So she also had children that were not his. And remember, they were only married for five years. But she would also complain that me and my children were left with hardly any money. Right. She obviously didn't care about the guy that she was married to. She only cared about the money. Oh, yeah. That was obvious from the beginning. Yeah. So she was so jilted, so scorned that she would say, I'm now trying to make a success of the business because I'm not going to let Gerald beat me. You see how personal this is? This is just personal for her. Oh, yeah. She clearly, yeah, gives a shit. So, yeah, not to mention she got to take over his successful gym and tanning center, too. So, of course, of course. He was also found with a suicide note in his pocket, but I could not track down what the contents of that note were. Well, a woman scorned, you know. Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman's school. Oh, yep, that's actually from William Congreve's The Morning Bride from 1697. The quote itself is right on point. I almost thought you were going to try to go with like a Michael Caine sort of a way, you know, like a heaven has no rage <laughs> like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman's school. Much better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that there is nothing in the world, even beyond the world, such as in the depths of hell, is as furious and capable of the great anger of a woman who has been scorned or, you know, slighted in any way or ridiculed. Right, right. Her feelings being hurt by his suicide. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, right. So like when your girlfriend or wife or whatever asks you if her ass looks fat in the pants she's wearing and you, being the honest gentleman you are, tell her, yeah, absolutely it does. In fact, it looks much bigger in them than outside of them. And you know, <laughs> she, she gets pissed that you were honest. Yes. And then you get the silent treatment for two days and she plots her revenge. And the next thing you know, your penis is cut off, Ooh. laying in a neighbor's yard, a few houses down, being licked by the chihuahua. Oh. And the next thing you know. It's sewed back on, and now you have a Franken-dick, and you're doing porn, probably. Oh, man. Yeah, Bobbit. Bobbit was not a porn success, though, but I think you nailed it there. Well, I think he tried to nail it, but yeah, well, that was uh, that, that was an interesting episode, all in all, and apparently 
there's no shortage of unusual suicides to sift through. So I'm assuming we'll do more episodes on the topic because it's very interesting and there's plenty of material. No shortage at all, dude, which cannot be said for poor Bobbit up there. Oh, snap. <laughs> but that is it for today. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, as always, for tuning in and lending us your ear. Yes, yes. Please, if you would, subscribe to the podcast and then like and share wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, you can email us at paranautica at gmail.com. That's P-A-R-A-N-A-U-A. That's P-A-R-A-N-A-U-G-H-T-I-C-A at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under at Paranautica, of course. Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot. We also have a new Reddit page under our name, the Paranautica Podcast, where everyone can go and discuss the episodes or suggest topics or cases for us to cover and present to you, our faithful listeners. So go check that out. All right, everyone, take care of yourselves and each other. Good night and good luck.